0: blog talk radio Writers Show is now in the air, spotlighted on BadRedHeadMedia.com as a top author podcast on the web today and called A Total Blast of a Show for Writers. My name is Robert Batista, and you may ask, why is the Funky Writers Show so terrific? Because I'm a writer, just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of of life. Connect with the show on the exciting Twitter page by going to thefunkywriter. Phoenix, you have thawed me, released me from the freeze, coaxed me into clear sunlight, your warm and airy breeze. Phoenix, you have challenged me. Through cactus, sand, and stone. Sealed your visage in my soul, your love right to my bone. Phoenix, you have called me to join with all your kin. More than just a city, you stir me deep within. Phoenix, you have thawed me. Open up your doors. I'll be there for certain. Phoenix am yours. These are the beautiful words of our dynamic guest today, author, screenwriter, artist, illustrator, graphic designer, editor, and poet, Tina Field Howe. Welcome, Tina Field Howe, to the Funky Writers Show.
1: Thank you, Robert. It's really good to be here. Well, I have not read really... that poem in
0: years. <laughs> <laughs> you must have had a smashing time in Phoenix, I tell you that much.
1: <laughs> I did. I loved it. I, I had actually planned to move out there a while ago.
0: That poem is called Ode to Phoenix. So, Tina, welcome. So good having you on the Funky Rider Show. I know you've written a couple of novels, segued into screenwriting, and now TV writing, and you've just pitched your first pilot at Nat Tape, N A T P E. Please explain to our audience the process of pitching this pilot and what happens after you've done this.
1: Wow, it's about a 20 year process, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Actually actually my first novel, um, I adapted called Alyssa of the Fields, I adapted to um the this pilot that I've written, this T V pilot. Um, which was quite an incredible process adapting, you know, your book series to T right. V because I think it actually improved it. So, um, I've been got involved in screenwriting about five years ago when I took um a couple of really great programs through Screenwriting U And prior to that, I had been doing some screenwriting, but just floundering uh, because the resources weren't really that great at the time. So then, about last year, I decided to start looking toward TV writing because there are so many more opportunities now with all the streaming and so on, you know, to get your work out there. Right. So I decided to adapt my series, and um, actually, it's gone very, very well. so there's this um conference once a year held in Miami called NATPE. N A T P E. It's the National Association of Television Program Executives. Okay. And although it's it's not a uh a, not like a pitch fest for writers, like there is no pitching vehicle for writers, right. But if you have an idea and you create a treatment and you create um your pilot script and you can take it and say, "Hey, you know, how would you like to uh consider this?" for, you know larger shows, and I actually got quite a few requests um just by going around and talking to various producers and distributors and It was a really good experience overall,
0: so how long do they give you to actually do your pitch um at uh n a t b e uh did were you in a room? did you just go from table to table um or did people come to you how How did that work?
1: Well, at first, especially if you're a first-time participant, NATPE can seem like a four-ring circus. Right. Because they have um they have special uh, rooms set up for exhibitors, exhibitors who are mostly distributors looking for created content to distribute. Then there are other meeting rooms um there's another big meeting room which I wasn't aware of the last day, anybody could just walk in there and pitch I, I thought it was something else going on in there. Um, and also I went with a consultant and there were uh five different clients. Went with Jeannie Simon who she and her husband run Sell Your T V concept now and uh actually hired her to uh as part of this group and she sub- did set up some meetings with producers, but they weren't really taking pitches from writers. But right. she she had set these up so at least we had a little leg up of getting into a room and it was really very excellent experience. They were very open to new ideas and um, encouraged us to follow up with them and so on and send our, our pilots. So um, we did at least get to get in a room uh, for a few different producers. But other than that, the pitching, you just sort of do it on your own. <laughs> Amazingly enough, I got more requests for my treatment and scripts sitting in the lobbies of the hotels where the conference was held. And everybody is just so friendly and eager and interested to know you know who you are and what you're doing and just very, very warm and friendly. So I sat several different times in the various lobbies in the hotels and really did, did quite a few pitches. And they weren't like formal. They were just conversations. This is what my story's about. It's a one-hour sci-fi drama. This is who the lead character is. This is her um, predicament. And oh, by the way, I have a, do have a feature film in development, and these are based. The story is based on my award-winning novel. So you sort of put those little nuggets in there too as you're speaking. But it's really more like a conversation than it was, what you think of typically as pitching. Like if you go into like a pitch, um, right. you know, Where they have all the tables set up and you have five minutes to get your word out and you know exchange business cards and all that. It wasn't at all like that. It was actually very relaxed. Um, just talking to people.
0: (laughs) You know, it's amazing, Tina. Yes, it's amazing, Tina, is that, you know, um, with Amazon getting into uh, Netflix, um, YouTube, and and, and the Internet, uh, I'm hoping, and I know a lot of us are, that we see more different quality things that, what we see now, what we see now, seems so formulaic on on at the movies, on regular TV, even on cable. Everything seems to be fit into this mold, into this box, into this formula. Um, so it's amazing how something's new, something that's vibrant, you know, can even get a foot in the door. I mean, why why do you think things are formulaic? Is it, of course, the money? They don't they don't want to spend the money on something they don't think will be proven.
1: Well, that could be part of it, but also it's because people have watched you know formulate shows forever um the way stories have been told since you know before there was any technology you know like you know verbally people have liked their stories to get their stories in a certain way, and there is a formula even to you know folklore has a formula there is a formula to storytelling, so I think maybe a part of it is because. Yeah, they want to be safe. But the other part of it is that's how people like their stories told. But I think, on the other hand, people are maturing. You know, the, the viewers are maturing. You know, they want really complex characters. They want really layered stories. You know, so I think there is a lot of change going on. There is uh, shifting. And um, oh, I've seen quite true. a few good good things, um, uh, quite a few, you know, well-written Things on TV, and I, I watch a lot. I watch, um, I mean, I watch all all genres. I watch the science fiction shows. Of course, I all I'll love his history historical shows. I love right. watching a well done historical program and series. And I do do some binge watching, <laughs> on some of the streaming channels. So I think there's a lot of us out there that do. Um, but yeah, there there is a formula, and actually 32 formulas I've heard, you know, officially. 32 different formulas. 32? But, 32 formulas, yeah. Uh, I, thought it was, I, way, I thought it was two. You no. Know,
0: I'm only kidding. That,
1: and and there are, you know, if the, even if there are only 32 formulas, there, there is always something to say about finding a new, you know, way to express how this story happens. You know, interesting right. scenes. More interesting characters, you know the good guy isn't always but always good. I mean we're getting a lot of anti heroes which are you know perfectly right. acceptable and I think fun you know when you have a good anti hero and you know so that the way the is told definitely is changing. I think the writing is getting better and it's more challenging than it used to be So,
0: Gina, your talents are so vast. Before you became a screenwriter, you published a children's picture book and two YA sci-fi novels in a series. Now, your picture books for children call Snailsworth, A Slow Little Story. I this not only did you write it, but you also did the illustrations. How was that, wearing both hats?
1: Well, I really liked it. Um, I also illustrate my book covers. Um, it's kind of a neat process. The writing and the storytelling kind of go hand in hand. I usually start with a rough draft and, um, you know, work on the rough draft of the story. And while I'm working on the rough draft, I get ideas for, like in the children's book, for, you know, what goes on each page. And then as I'm working on the illustration, I get ideas on how to enhance the writing or the character. So I sort of go back and forth between the two. So um, it's it's kind of an interesting process um, how it really works together for me. And I really started dab at writing when I was in high school, but I didn't get very far. I was just uh, didn't have confidence, and there weren't a lot of resources back then. And even my my teachers in school, I really didn't um, didn't really um, you know lean on them. I was just didn't have the confidence that what I could write could be good. That's just the learning that I had to grow and develop into that. Um, Then I went to college. I um, did take a lot of art courses. I had a a major in anthropology and a minor in art. And I really started doing a lot of photography and graphics and so on. So I actually, when I got to school, I was doing a lot of artwork and painting and stuff like that. Then I started doing the writing again because I got this idea. um, I think I was really inspired by Ursula K. Le Guin who writes just top-notch science fiction. And it's also like anthropological science fiction, where she has these creatures and people on different planets that are different from humans. I was so inspired. Then I found out that her father was Alfred Kraber, who actually started the study, you know, the formal study of anthropology. So I can only imagine the story she had growing up. You know, I I can only imagine the story she had growing up. So when I got out of college, it didn't take long, you know, just a few years before I got this idea um, to write um, the Alyssa books um, that take place on this post-apocalyptic planet, fictitious planet. And um, so then I started, uh, so I just kept doing the illustration, but writing too. So I've done both, you know, over the years and just kept at it, except I haven't done much illustration the last couple of years since I started the screenwriting, but. So um, they just sort of developed together, I guess. So,
0: Snailsworth, um, why did you do this wonderful story? Was writing for children something you always wanted to do?
1: Well, uh, I think when I got the idea for Snailsworth, I was actually looking for something to illustrate, but I didn't know what to illustrate. And I was sitting on my back steps of my backyard one evening and I had this lovely gate in this garden out back and this and and I got the idea of, and and I had snails <laughs> also <laughs> in my in my yard and I got this idea for snails and so I created that um like I said I wrote the rough draft first and so this thumbnail sketches along the way and then I just kept developing both the writing and the illustrating back and forth. And that's how that book came to be. And um, also along the way, even before that, I did take a um, fiction writing course. And eventually, you know, I got the idea to write um, the Alyssa books. Actually, the first book. I only had the idea for the first book and didn't get the idea for the second book until the first was completely done. <laughs> so it sort of came about that way.
0: Um well, speaking, speaking of that, you branched out, as you said, to the Tellings of Zunar series, a YA adult science fantasy, book one, Alyssa of the Fields, book two, The Trail Folk of Zunar Wow, amazing stuff. Take us through the germination and birth of this fantastic series. How did it go from your mind to the pages? And who is this reluctant champion called Alyssa?
1: Well, um, Alyssa is a teenager who lives on, and I have actually changed the name of the planet because people have difficulty pronouncing it. Um, it's actually Shunar but it's like nobody nobody's ever been able to pronounce it. So that's why I changed it to so you changed Axis it. <laughs> Prime. <laughs> I changed it to Axis Prime because that's really easy to pronounce.
0: That sure um, is.
1: yeah. So she's a girl, who a teenage girl, who lives in a, a farming society, an agricultural society, three thousand years after this huge battle, pretty much destroyed the planet. And they had a founder, of a gentleman, a man who shepherded a lot of the survivors into the mountain, into the mountains, and they become, they became the field folk, the people that ra- you know, you know, just raise, you know, herding animals and. and they have these big terraced uh, farms and so on, and they eventually developed into five homesteads. And then, so Alyssa lives um, three thousand years, roughly three thousand years after that. But she her her society is very closed and very controlling because they don't want to take a chance of any wars ever happening again. So um, they they don't have weapons, they don't have fighting skills, and so on. Now, there's this other uh, estranged tribe. That called the Trailmen, who uh, are nomadic and they're hunter warriors. They did maintain the ways after the war to defend and protect themselves and also to hunt. And um, what happens is they, they really do not communicate very much with each other, but this mutant comes to the planet, comes to Axis Prime, and starts um, taking the children from the farms. So Alyssa breaks all the rules to... Uh retrieve the trail the trailmen and ask them to help them fight and get their children back, so that's basically what book one is about um, And you asked me where did I get the idea, or how did I develop the idea? Yes, okay. well, what I did was I came up with um a synopsis for, like what could happen in each chapter, okay. and I just came up with like like a paragraph now uh so then I wrote the book. And I actually wrote it. I actually finished the first draft in 1984. And then I sent the book out a lot. It got rejected a lot. And I just set it aside. That's when everything was through the mail. I set it aside for 20 years. I took it out 20 years later and just about fainted when I saw the writing that I had sent in to to, uh, editors And I just sat down, it took two years to rewrite the whole story, you know, based on my years of experience. I had done a lot more writing short stories, a lot of corporate writing, a lot of business and corporate writing, which I made read like fiction, you know, like to really readable and not dry. And and, um, just kept, you know, doodling and and writing short stories and entering in a few contests and and so on. And um, so I read the book and I deconstructed it. I beefed it up. I did like a good one page outline for every chapter. Um added characters, took them out. I did whatever I had to do to, to make the story better. And so I did that and I you know published that in two thousand six. So we're going on ten years now. Right. But it's been out. And then the second book, you know, came along came out two years later, the Trail Folk of Shunar which continues Alyssa's story, and they have, not to give anything away in the first book, but they have somewhat blended with the trailman. So there's like a, um, the uh, they call themselves the trail folk, and they come upon a new danger that's, um, you know, come to the planet, so they have to deal with that. And uh, the third book was outlined when I decided to get into screenwriting. And my first trial was to try to take the first book and shove it into one feature script, and it did not work. <laughs> I hated it; it didn't work at all. <laughs> so after a few years of you know screenwriting training and creating some scripts, and um, I have won some contests and some you know placed in several contests with those, I decided to take a crack at um, the Alyssa books again, but I decided to turn it into a TV series instead of trying to shove everything, you know, or cut cut so much out, you know, to make it into a feature film. I suppose I could cut the book in half and, and make two feature films out of it, but that's just not in my head. You know, I just, you know, couldn't really do that. And I think it's much better as a TV, as a TV show. And it's actually the, the story is much better as a TV show, having, you know, gone through the books again and deconstructed it and figuring out what should be cut, what new stuff I could put in, how I could address so much of the narrative I had pulled a flashback that I found out I had done in the in the novels when I read through it. Oh, that's too much flashback. So I would create scenes if necessary or make a reference to that thing that happened, you know, with between the characters or something. But normally I would just um, take something out if it wasn't really didn't really move the story forward. It's just so important to keep a story moving forward in a, in a TV series or in a movie. Right, yeah. right. Keep it moving forward. So you said
0: something I think is was very very interesting to me. You said you had your story on the shelf for twenty years, then yeah. you picked it back up and you you were kind of shocked. Now, as yeah. writers we we do get better with with age and with experience and with time so during the 20 years you said you were shocked now w- were you shocked by the story or were you shocked by the writing or were you shocked by both
1: i was shocked by the writing i was shocked that i thought see this is this is a part of the I work work with first-time writers and sometimes it's very difficult when you're a first-time writer, you want to believe that every word that you've written is golden, you know, you want to believe that, oh, I wrote it and so it's great because I wrote it, well, that's, you know, that's why I was shocked because when I looked back at my writing and I remembered how awesome I thought it was, and then I looked at it 20 years later and honestly evaluated my own writing and saying, this sucks, I'm so embarrassed that I sent this out, you know, um, it's just, that's what I was shocked at, now the story I did, um, you know, when I rewrote it, I just added 20 years of experience, you know, having become a mom, you know, so I knew knew better how to portray Alyssa's mother, you know, things like that um, just made the story better.
0: So I understand the third installment of this science fantasy series is in development. Can you give us some details on its plot and storyline? The third the third book? Yes, the one that's in development of the Alyssa series. That's okay.
1: Yeah, that one too, um, would be like the third season in my T V series.
0: Got it. So Got it.
1: um in the, in the, okay, so the first book, everything pretty much happens in Alyssa's Mountains and then in the Trailman's Lowlands area where they migrate to in the winter. The second book takes place, they actually go, there's a big destroyed city, not too far away, called City Infinity. So um, the uh, second book takes them south closer to City Infinity, and they see a lot more of the destruction and and so on, and that's where they meet these very suspicious a small, suspicious group of people, and they take them back to the mountains and um the people end up destroying some very important things. but the third book will take them to the east, where they find okay. uh a valley uh like a deep valley in a canyon with this society where they're like um kind of like hybrid human beings, and then there are perfect human beings that live in a tower. And um, what Alyssa and her friends do is to um, help stop this travesty that's taking place. And that, the title of that one is called The Monks of the Roaming Star. Okay. And uh, so anyway, so so Larissa, Larissa, Alyssa and her people help to stop this travesty that's going on
0: got it let's talk about tina field how the person where did you grow up and what was your early childhood
1: like oh wow i grew up in uh the village of waverly new york which is where i currently live again and (laughs) it's uh if anybody anybody knows where binghamton is it's um, yes. It's west of Binghamton, about 40 miles. It's south of Syracuse, um, I don't know, about 100 miles or so. And uh, it's just a, a small town, and we have lots of wilderness around us. We actually had a couple acres in the middle of town that had been farmland, trees, and we called it the woods. And as I was a kid, we were always out in the woods, playing in the woods. So we grew up with nature. Um, and my parents were gardeners and um, like veggie gardens and my uh, mom and my grandmother were huge flower gardeners because we had actually had a greenhouse business that uh, collapsed during World War II um, literally because my grandfather couldn't find men to help him keep, keep it up and all the glass in place and everything. Right. But they had a huge greenhouse business. So I guess... You know, gardening and farming is, you know, just a part of my life. It's in my DNA, my mother used to say. (laughs) And so, you know, I went to a small school and, um, you know, I was probably like a B-plus student, you know. Um, I really loved my English classes and that's the point where I actually tried to write some short stories on my own but just didn't feel confident enough. And and I was very shy when I was very shy and quiet in public and in school, um, and I got over that. But um, So I grew up here, Then I went to a community college not too far from here in Corning, New York, and then I went on and finished my bachelor's at uh, State University, New York, at Brockport. So that's where I finished my anthropology degree. And then I took a year off to decide whether or not I was going to continue in fine arts or anthropology, and I never did go back uh, to school. I got a job and settled down, and you know how that goes. So. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: Tina, legend has it that your mother was an oil painter and you were raised in a household of high creativity. Talk about yes. the enormous creative spirit that permeated in your house during that early period in your life.
1: Well, my mom and dad could do anything. They could build anything, paint anything. They were incredibly creative people. Um, my mother had painted early in life, and when us kids came along, she didn't really paint that much. She she got back into it, though, um, in the 70s. and When I bought her a, a big painting kit, she got back into it. So she painted like crazy through the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s, and I've got several of her paintings here. My great grandmother was also an excellent artist, and now I have one of my uh, my great grandmother's big scenic paintings hanging next to my mother's uh, one of my mother's scenic paintings. So, uh, and they're all over the house. I've got quite a few of them, and so I'm very proud of that heritage.
0: Wow, how cool is that? Um, Gina, what were some of the books and some of the authors that inspired you in your youth?
1: In my youth? Wow. Well, I read, you know, all the classic books, you know, growing up. But, you know, mostly it was the um, horse stories. I read all of the, you know... um, the, uh, you know, Black Beauty and every right, horse right. I could get my hands on because I I really, really wanted the horse. I actually used to get into horse racing, and I used to keep track of Belmont Stakes and, you know, who all the winners were and stuff because I just loved horses so much. Um, and so everything I read was horse-related. I can't remember the authors, you know, that I read back then, um, but everything was horse-related, everything. I never did get a horse. I've not. I don't have a horse yet. I should say, but that could be coming. That could be coming. That's right. There's still time. uh, Yeah.
0: Gina, one of the things I know you'd like to discuss is the importance of good training, writer's attitude, and collaboration. Let's address these topics and why they mean so much to you.
1: Writing is really, really, really hard. It really is, and you never get your words right the first time you're lucky to get them right the twentieth time, you know then my right. opinion anyway, and you know it's just you have to be really patient with yourself, um patient you know with the work you know you have to set you have to set stuff down for a few days or a couple of weeks before you go back and you know really start editing um I like to just get stuff out get a nice rough draft out so I've got, it's finished, you know, at least it's quote-unquote finished to the point where I've got all my story out. And um, it's just, you know, it's really not, writing is not glamorous. It's really not. It's a lot of hard work.
0: (laughs) So many people think it is, though.
1: I know. It's like, well, when I first started writing screenplays, for instance, I try to write them as fast as I could because movies go fast, right? I mean, this is before I started my training with screenwriting you and your programs. You're watching a movie and it goes like this, but the writing doesn't go like that. I mean, you could, you know, spend months or a year writing and rewriting a story. And most of of the actual story and the real gems that come out are during the rewriting process. So I've learned to really slow it down. And before, you know, when I'm doing, I always do an outline. You know, like a um usually I'll do like a one or two um page overview, so what is this what could this story kind of look like you know, and right. then I go back and i and I outline like the first eight beats using the mini movie method, which um is gaining popularity, and so the eight like the big turning points you know of your story. And then I really do, uh, you know, quite a, a decent outline. My outlines for a screenplay are usually 10 to 12 pages long. Now, a lot of people think that's not creative, but it really is. It's just some, you know, and then it continues to be creative. I think the slower you work, the more gems pop out, you know, pop out of the story. And I still get surprises. Oh, wow, that, that, that's such a cooler way to say that. And there's so much subtext. There. So I'm going to, you know, rewrite that line that way. So it's just a matter of, um, you know, how do you make it as interesting, a scene as interesting as you can? How are, how are the characters as interesting as they can be? Is this an interesting location? You know, so I think about all those things when I'm just doing my outline, outlining my scenes, and then the writing becomes more fluid. You know, it becomes, right. it goes a little bit faster. We actually get to fleshing out those scenes and, and with your dialogue and everything. And so it's just, um, you know, something that you have to be willing to do and to not send it out too soon to a producer, you know, or to an agent. Um, You know, not too soon. I get a lot of feedback. I get feedback from colleagues. I also almost always hire um, a script consultant to look at the structure, to go over it with me and, you know, have a conversation with me about, How it can be made more marketable. So, just I think you have to do everything you can to have the best script out there that you can possibly have.
0: Gina, would you recommend screenwriting you to other people?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I've taken. They have lots of shorter short classes, like three weeks to three months, for instance. And then their pro series program was the first um long program that I went through. It's about a year long. And it's it's all done on a forum. So you really get to know other writers and you read each other's stuff and you help each other at certain points. You comment and give feedback. And then I took um after I think I did the pro series first and about two years later I got involved in the Master Screenwriting Certificate, which is mind-blowing. Um, the the people that run the program are Cheryl and Hal Crosman, and right. they're in the L.A. area. And they uh, are very, very much into training people, and Hal teaches um, expert systems. And it's just he interviews a lot of people to get his, you know, um, the process down and it's it's awesome it's not it's not just about structure and writing but it, it is also about attitude it does teach how to have a good writers a screenwriters attitude you know you learn a lot about the business and how to pitch and you know writing query letters and marketing and and all you know facets that you need to know as a writer you know And uh, because you do even, you do a lot of your own self-promotion before you get an agent normally. Right. You have to. That's the only way to become known is to, you know, enter some contests, you know, enter the better contests and and, um, start sending your stuff out. But you need to make those connections first. And I do a lot on LinkedIn, a lot of connecting with producers and other writers on LinkedIn. It's a great thing. and Facebook too, but more LinkedIn because there's more professional. It's all geared to professional, not to personal stuff up there. Whereas Facebook is a lot personal, you know. Um and you just have to stay positive. You know just stay really positive and do your best and just keep going. You just keep going. Never give up. Even on those days when I wake up think, Why am I doing this? you know, you can't give up.
0: <laughs> right, right. You, you have to can't be give persistent. Up. Definitely, persistence yeah. personified. So, what's yeah. next for Tina Field? How? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? I know you're you're doing the uh, the third installment as a screenplay or for TV. What do you have? Anything else coming up?
1: Well, um, I'm still currently pitching. I have sent out. I followed up with the people that the producers that requested my materials, my treatment, and my um, script at Natty. I followed up with them and got those out and now I'm continuing to um, make connections and um, do like a light pitching on LinkedIn to try to get more people interested and I will probably, I'm looking for an agent. I had a manager for a while but sometimes they don't work out so I'm looking for another uh, agent or manager so I'll be connecting with them on Virtual Pitch Fest which is a kind of cool place to get script requests and, and get noticed. And um then I'm also working on another T V series because I hope to return to NAPP next January with at least two shows that I can show. Okay. So um so I'm working on that right now. So, so always, give out, there's always I'm sorry, go ahead. I was yeah, just saying there's yeah, always some sounds something that way <laughs> So,
0: Tina, give out any contact information, um, your websites and uh, how they can follow you so you can be contacted.
1: Sure, awesome. Yes, um, on Facebook, I'm the Tina Field Howe and also on Twitter. And I have a couple of websites. One of them is com. And then I just put one up for the Axis Prime TV show. So it's AxisPrimeTV.com. And um, there's another one. I mean, Tina, Tina Howe or TinaFieldHowe.com. But it's like a lot of my illustrating and things like that, which I'm not. in my poems, a lot of my poems are up there, <laughs> which I'm Yeah,
0: not. I read some. They're pretty good. Yeah.
1: Oh, thanks. Oh, I, I have a theme for writing poetry. I don't know. As opposed to feverish. <laughs> uh,
0: as a so, poet I myself, I, I hear you loud and clear. Sometimes poems are what save me. You know, um, I'm feeling one way or another, and I pick up the pen and just write a poem, and it makes me feel so much better. So I understand loud and clear. This has been Fox the Funky Writer Show with me. Robert Batista. I'm at at author R. Batista on Twitter. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name on smashwords.com. My guest has been the multi-talented and genuinely gifted Tina Field Howe. Make sure you visit her fantastic website tinafieldhowe.com and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Tina, for being a guest on the Funky Writer
1: Show. Thank you very much, Robert. It was really fun. I
0: Thanks. had such a pleasure. You are chock full of information. We have to do it again.
1: I I, I
0: think so. We definitely. I'm ready. Do. Have a, <laughs> great. Have a great evening. Bye now.
1: You too. Thanks.